Hey everyone, Happy New Year. This is Corel Cooper, co-host at the Minority Report Podcast. We are super excited to kick off the 2020 season. Up first is an episode featuring Dr. Janice Gassam. For those of you who are not familiar with Dr. Gassam, she is the founder of BWG Business Solutions. She is also a senior contributor writer at Forbes, a TEDx speaker, and a professor. We recorded this episode in late December 2019 and touched on a number of topics, including Janice's career path, background, upbringing, and how that influenced the work she does today, plus a lot more. So let's get into the episode and hope you enjoy it. Tell us uh, a little bit about what you're doing right now. Tell us about BWG Business Solutions. Sure. So last year I started BWG Business Solutions and BWG stands for Black, White, Green. And it goes along with this idea that diversity is not about black or white, but green. So when organizations start putting a focus on diversity and inclusion, that's when they will become more profitable. So along with that, I do uh, something called the Diversity Dinner Dialogue. So I host these free events that are sponsored by Papa John's. And we talk about different diversity-related topics. And it's a really nice opportunity for people to come and like vent about their diversity and inclusion-related issues. And leadership from different companies sometimes comes just to hear what people are saying and to sort of have like an ear to the streets as far as diversity and inclusion. And I, uh, I also am a professor. I teach courses in management. So I guess that's a little bit about me. <laughs> that's awesome. Before all of that, tell us, you know, uh, where you were sort of raised and where you were born and, you know, tell us where, how you, where you grew up. Uh, so it's tough when people ask me, where are you from? I really don't know what to say. My default is always Virginia because that's where I spent most of my time. I was born in Texas. Don't remember much of it. Uh, spent a lot of time in Northern Virginia. So we lived in Annandale. And then we moved to the Middle East when I was young. So we lived in a country called Oman. I had never heard of it, but it's next to Saudi Arabia and Yemen. Um, So I think that just like moving around and and being exposed to different cultures really gave me an interest and understanding in diversity and inclusion. And my parents are from Cameroon, which is on the West Coast of Africa next to Nigeria. So I was kind of like stuck between three different cultures. And if any of you have ever read the book, The Souls of Black Folk by W.E.B. Dubois, he talked about this double consciousness that a lot of black people live in, where you're kind of like assimilating and trying to live in the world that, you know, a world where you're accepted and you're also living in your own world of, you know, being who you are. So I kind of felt like, I was stuck between these three cultures where um, I lived in predominantly white neighborhoods. So I was always trying to sort of assimilate and be accepted. And I also was trying to be accepted 
within the black culture. And then also, you know, grappling with the fact that my parents are from Cameroon. I didn't know a lot about the culture growing up. So sort of trying to find my place in the world. And I think that that's what really sparked my interest in sort of building inclusive cultures and how do we foster that. And since we spend so much time at work, like how do you create these spaces where everyone feels a sense of belonging? So I think that is was sort of the catalyst to meet my interest in diversity and inclusion. Gotcha, gotcha. And and what have your parents taught you about Cameroon? Uh, a lot now because I go back or I've gone back every year. And uh, my grandmother, uh, well, she uh, recently passed away, but she was there and all of my family was still there. So I don't know the language. They speak Bamalake and French and some other native languages. But I know a lot about the culture and... Um, I don't know how to cook the food, unfortunately. <laughs> I know how to make jollof rice, but I don't cook a lot of the Ooh. food. But I, <laughs> I know a lot about the culture, which is, as I've gotten older, I've, I've really been interested in learning more about that. I, I asked because according to my ancestry report, I'm 28% Cameroon. Yeah, Cameroon. Yeah. <laughs> a lot, you know, and that's, that's what the coolest thing, because a lot of people tell me that. No one yeah. knows anything about Cameroon. Right. They know a famous soccer player, Ito. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are like, oh, he's from Cameroon. Yeah. That's all that people know. But a lot of people Cameroon after rice, they do their ancestry. <laughs> say that again. Say it again, Eric. And the rice. Oh, and the right. Yeah. yeah. But actually, like, we're not even I'm not even going to lie. Like, we're not even Cameroon is not good at jollof rice. That's like mm-hmm. Nigeria and Ghana. I know how I to do. make it because my husband is from Ghana. So I, I'm pretty good at it. But that's not like our our stilo. That's not what we're good at. Gotcha. OK. All right. So one of the things as, as I was doing my research and preparing for the podcast, I, I read on your your LinkedIn profile where you stated that your ultimate goal is to change the world by bridging the gaps of misunderstanding. Can you explain that a little bit to the audience? Sure. So I think that we've all had situations in in work and outside of work where we don't understand each other, where someone says or does something that offends us or we think was malicious and intent. And my goal is to really just help us to understand how to, and it sounds really corny, but it's really like infusing more love into the workplace and and bridging those gaps of misunderstanding. And I think Mm -hmm. that we have so much more in common than we have as far as differences. And it's important to understand like that golden string that sort of pulls us all together. Gotcha. And, and, you know, obviously you are out a lot. You're speaking to a lot of people. You're, you're helping a lot of companies foster diversity and inclusion. What excites you about what you do every day? Um, I think it's the prospect of somebody seeing something in a way that they never thought of before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with this work, you have to go into an understanding that there are many people whose minds you're not going to change. And uh, a lot of people have views that are ingrained in them deeply and that they've had since childhood. Mm. So, you know, changing someone's mind is really, really difficult. But just the prospect that you could plant a seed in someone's mind that could grow and be nurtured into an idea that they never thought about before is Mm. really exciting. And just the idea that, you know, you could change one person and 
over time, changing the world comes with changing myself and changing that one person. So I think that that's what's really exciting to me. And I think that diversity and inclusion is becoming more of like a buzzword, which is good. And people (laughs) are investing a lot more money and effort and time into fostering these inclusive cultures. So that's really exciting to me. Mm, Awesome. Awesome. You know, one of the things that I was excited about personally about this conversation is all your different accomplishments, you know, PhD, have your own mm-hmm. company, TEDx speaker, contributor on Forbes and and other places as well too. Is there one accomplishment that you've had throughout your career that that sticks out to you? Tough That's question. a good, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, <laughs> it's a really good, uh, tough question because um, I don't know. I think like, I I don't know if I could narrow it down to just one mm. thing. I think that there have been times when so after my P, after I got my PhD, I wanted to go into corporate America and I mm. wanted to be like a lot of my classmates who are working at really large and well-known companies in New York City. I wanted to be hired as like a diversity as the head of diversity. And I applied to jobs for almost a year. I got nothing and I think the moment that I realized that I didn't need a big company to stand behind me, that I could sort of craft and create my own path, that's when things started to happen for me. So it was a tough road to get to where I am because, you know, after I finished my PhD, being jobless was really scary. Mm. And, you know, it was an, an exciting accomplishment, but I felt like I wasn't where I knew I could be. So I think the moment that I sort of, crafted my own path. That's when things started to, I guess, move along for me. So um, I don't know. It's hard to narrow it down to one one specific thing. So one, one thing that you said there that I kind of want to dig into a little bit in terms of you had your PhD, you're you're looking for a job and there are probably some struggles there. And then you figured out to sort of do your own thing. I mean, for those out there that are listening to the podcast that may be in that situation now, either coming out of school, looking for work or maybe in between jobs. And that can be a mental challenge for people. It can be very hard for people. What, what advice would you give those folks? So the best piece of advice that I could give anyone listening is LinkedIn, LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Every single opportunity that I've gotten as far as being able to give a TEDx talk and uh, becoming a Forbes contributor essentially came from LinkedIn. Mm. So I'll give you a really quick story. The way that I became a Forbes contributor was I was jobless. And I was looking for speaking engagements and speaking opportunities. So I was like, oh, you know, I would love to speak on diversity and inclusion and how to foster inclusive workplaces because I'm really passionate about that. So I found uh, a company called Namely has a conference every year called HR Redefine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I submitted an application to talk about or be a panelist at the conference. And they accepted my proposal and actually, Adam Grant was one of the, their keynote speakers. Mm-hmm, so he gave mm-hmm. out his book. And while I was there, I, you know, got an opportunity to sort of speak on fostering inclusive cultures. And I made sure that I was networking and connecting with the people that I met at the conference on LinkedIn. And then a few days after the conference, I got an email from an editor at Forbes. And she said, hey, Janice, I was at the HR Redefine conference and I really enjoyed your talk. Are you interested in writing, being a contributing writer for Forbes? And before I went to the conference, 
I made sure that I had really like beefed up my LinkedIn because I was on LinkedIn before, but I wasn't really on it. Yeah. So I was what I was doing was I was writing articles on LinkedIn about diversity and inclusion. So when I emailed her back, I was like, oh, my gosh, yes, I would love to be, you know, contributing writer, excuse me, for Forbes. She was like, do you have any writing samples? And I went to my LinkedIn and I sent her links to articles I had written. So it was almost like I had laid the foundation while I was jobless. Mm -hmm. I had laid Mm -hmm. the foundation so that if and when these opportunities came to me, I was ready. So it's kind of like that saying, um, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Mm. So, you know, if you want to get into diversity and inclusion, you don't have to wait for a company to hire you to specifically do that. There are ways that you could be doing diversity related things in your own a company. So does your organization have an employee resource group? If you are, you know, a woman of color, does your organization have a employee resource group specifically for that population? Mm. If not, maybe you could start one. You could create your own, you know, side hustle related to diversity and inclusion. And eventually that could become like your main job. So I think the biggest lesson that I learned is you don't have to wait, just do it. And just start it because I thought, oh, I have to, no one will take me seriously unless I have a PhD. But like in hindsight, I'm, I could have started this without, you know, the PhD yeah. was good to get that research mm-hmm. background, but I could have started this without that. So I think like just starting and if you really love to write about, let's say if cooking is your thing, right. Jolof rice is your thing, start <laughs> writing about that, start doing that on your own. And you don't need to wait for someone to give you the opportunity. Awesome advice. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. And, and Dr. Janice, you know, with your with your background and traveling and your family, like along the way, did you did you have any mentors or any sort of heroes in your family and then also sort of mentors and heroes, you know, at work? I would say my parents. My dad was really inspiring. My dad was a, a finance professor. He's taught at multiple historically black colleges and universities, but he really enjoyed just like that mentoring and being able to impact people's lives. And I think seeing him was the catalyst to me going into teaching and my mom, because she's really resilient. She came from, you know, really uh, interesting background. And she was told when she was younger that she was never smart enough to succeed. And now she's, you know, she's completing a PhD and she's just done so much with her life. So I think my parents were essentially my mentors. It was hard because when I decided I wanted to start doing consulting, in diversity and inclusion, I had no one that I could really look to. There's people that I know, but I don't, I didn't feel like I related to them. Mm. So it was hard. I kind of had to just sort of find my own way. And that's been hard. So now when I see that anyone sort of wants to do something similar, I always try to help as much as I can. Sometimes people will reach out to me and say, oh, I really want to do this diversity and inclusion consulting. How did you do it? What is your path? And I just explain to them and try to be as much of a mentor as I can Mm. because I didn't really have anyone to sort of tell me and show me the ropes. I had to just figure it out on my own. Mm. That's that's interesting. I mean, you know, because you're so accomplished, sometimes it's hard to find new ways to be passionate or draw inspiration. Where do you seem to to, to draw inspiration from to, to stay passionate about? all your work. So I actually subscribe to Harvard Business Review and literally every day they're coming out with empirical data on diversity and inclusion. And it's to the point where I can't even keep up with Mm. all of their research. And I really like them because 
if you ever have issues with explaining to your company why diversity and inclusion is important, all the information you need is in their research because they do these very detailed uh, research studies and and you know they look at so many different aspects of diversity and inclusion. And I think they really help me to stay motivated when I read the articles. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to write on this or oh my, you know. So it's it's yeah. definitely Harvard Business Review. They have a lot of great content in there, and it's always evolving and changing. Awesome. And, and I did see in one of your talks you you spoke about how diversity does not equal inclusion. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. So I think what a lot of companies, what they're doing now is focusing on this idea of cosmetic diversity. So cosmetic diversity is that surface level diversity. And organizational leaders think that sometimes because you have diverse people within the organization, that they feel a sense of inclusion and belonging. And that's uh, a fallacy. So I think that just because you have diversity doesn't mean you have inclusion. Mm -hmm. And that's really important to remember. So how do those people from underrepresented groups feel? How do you make them feel a sense of belonging within the workplace is really, really important. So it, it goes beyond just recruiting and attracting these underrepresented groups into the company, because if they're not staying at the organization, then more needs to be done to really foster that culture of inclusion. So much great advice and, and great insights. You're so busy. How do you sort of manage like a work-life balance? And is there such a thing? Um, no. <laughs> I actually read an article. Um, someone posted something on LinkedIn that was saying, you know, the work-life balance thing is a you know, you'll never achieve it because if you're really good in one aspect of your life, like if you're excelling in your career, you're probably dropping the ball in another area of your life. So I agree. I think if you're spending a lot of time with your family, you might be spending less time focused on your career and vice versa. So I think that is important to sort of throw away that myth that you'll ever get a work-life balance. I don't think it exists. I Mm -hmm. think it's just, you're always going to kind of be compromising in one way or another, and that's okay. But you have to figure out what your forms of self-care are and Mm. practice those. Because I think sometimes we, we get so caught up in like giving of ourselves to others that we don't spend enough time really just allowing ourselves to rest. And Mm -hmm. that's really important, especially in New York. It's super important to just figure out how to get that self-care in. That is so, so true. So I was just thinking today, I need a one-hour massage. I don't remember the last time I got a massage. Like, (laughs) when was the last time you guys got a massage? Uh, Can't remember. Yeah. And that is like, it makes you feel so relaxed. And I'm like, you know what? This weekend, I'm going to get a one-hour massage. Because I'm just like, it's been a long but eventful year. And I just feel like I don't. Someone asked me what my forms of self-care were, and I was like, sleep? I was like, I, I don't know. I don't really have, like, and I was like, you know what? I need a self-care day, so I, I'm going to get a massage. That's good advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a, a little bit of a fun question for you that I love to ask every guest that's on the show. Give us the top three apps on your phone outside of calendar and email. Uh, so I had written this down um, <laughs> because I, I think it's an amazing question. But so this it's not really an app. But one thing that I definitely recommend everyone get is Boomerang. If you don't have it already, it's kind of like a plug-in sort of for Gmail. Mm. And I love it because I I have very 
odd hours. So I'm like a night owl and I am not a morning person. If I don't have to be up before noon, I do not like to be up before noon and I stay up really, really late. So what I find is that I'm sending emails at like two or three in the morning. Mm. And it's weird because I don't want people to know that I stay up (laughs) at those hours. So what Boomerang allows you to do is you can schedule emails. Really? So you can, yeah, it's amazing. So you can schedule emails. So I schedule emails for five or 6 a.m. when normal people are waking up. It also allows you within 30 seconds of sending an email to unsend it. So if you sent an email by mistake, you can unsend it. Mm -hmm. Um, There's probably other amazing things about about it, but I think those are the two main things that I really like about Boomerang. Boomerang. So I would definitely say Boomerang. Um, also for me, Audible. I love to read, but unfortunately, I don't have a lot of time to like sit down sit and, and read. read. Yeah. So the I used to kind of turn up my nose at like audiobooks because I was like, that's not really reading. <laughs> but I really like it, especially when authors read books in their own voice. Um, so I listened to Becoming recently, Michelle Obama's book, and that was nice because she read it in her own voice. Awesome. Um, so that really helps me to stay up to date on like there's a lot of diversity and inclusion related books that I get. Um, and also the podcast app because I'm mm-hmm. always listening to podcasts or audiobooks. So I would say those three things are like must haves on anyone's phone. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. Janice. How can our listeners find you? So multiple ways. I would say the best way is LinkedIn. If you search Janice, J-A-N-I-C-E, Gassam, G-A-S-S-A-M on LinkedIn, or if you just Google my name, my website will pop up. So it's drjanicegassam.com or bwgbusinesssolutions.com. So you can find me anywhere there. Add me. We'll talk, chat, (laughs) connect, all of that. Excellent. Thanks so much. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening and sharing the episodes. For additional episodes, you can find us everywhere you access your podcast. Search for Minority Report Podcast. Thanks for joining. 